The Book Nook on WYSO is presented by the Greene County Public Library with additional support from Clark County Public Library, Dayton Metro Library, Washington Centerville Public Library, and Wright Memorial Public Library. Hello, welcome to the Book Nook on WYSO. I'm Vic McCunis. I'd like to welcome the program today, Rebecca Cooter. And amazingly, she joins us in studio. We haven't had an in-studio guest in a while. Welcome to the program, Rebecca. Thank you, Vic. It's great to be here. Rebecca, you've just published your first novel. It's called The Eight Mile Suspended Carnival. And I'm going to take a wild guess that this has been a long time coming. You've worked hard on this for a long time. Uh, how did you get the idea? Um, the first bit of the idea had to do with the main character, Mim, who um, my concept, or just it came to me, I was walking down the street, and there it was, that someone who had amnesia but could see other people's memories. And so that idea came to me really in those kind of magic ways that a spark of inspiration comes while I was walking. Um, and then... Um, as far as setting it at a carnival, I, uh, I also, the tornado. There's she arrives at the carnival by way of tornado, and I did grow up in Yellow Springs, Ohio, where uh, we were close to the Xenia tornado in 1974, and so tornadoes have always been kind of a haunt for me. And so the idea of this person who has no memories, doesn't even remember who she is or her name or anything, showing up on the ground and being found by this group of um, oddballs, sort of a bunch of orphans who've made a family for themselves out of the carnival seemed like a, an interesting place to start, so. Are you a fan of The Wizard of Oz? Uh, yeah, okay. actually, yeah, uh -huh. okay. yeah, definitely. I remember be when I was a kid, watching it, you know, finding- The, the film with Judy Garland. Oh yeah, uh -huh. right, every yeah. year, mm -hmm. I think around mm -hmm. Easter, was it, that they would show mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. and, uh, finding some friend who had a color TV so we could see the magic, you know, because mm. we had a black and white TV. Um, yeah, so that has definitely been a, a the film, but also then the novel, um, which is very different from the film, as you know, and there have been other iterations of Dorothy and Oz um, that have been really interesting and informative for me. You're saying sure. films are different than books? Um, no. Uh -oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> They're absolutely the same. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. My guest is Rebecca Cooter. Her new one is the Eight Mile Suspended Carnival, and obviously, I'm I'm seeing the parallel between Mim arriving by Twister and and Dorothy's adventures related to a tornado in Kansas. So, how long did it take for you to create this book? How, how long were you working on it? Um, seventeen years. Um, with many other projects laced in here and there and putting it aside and um, not knowing what it was or the shape it was gonna take, um, writing some, as writers who are honest will admit, writing some really bad early <laughs> drafts and then uh, making it better and better. Um, so yeah, a long time. I started, yeah, it was, it was about 17 years. How long ago did you have the completed version? Um, Probably like three or four years ago now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they've done a beautiful job on this book. How did you uh, get it published? I, um, I met 
Well, when I was in graduate school at Antioch, Los Angeles, um, I graduated in 2001, actually. During that time, I one of my mentors there, one of the faculty mentors, was Rod Valmore, who um, is part of this amazing collective that is What Books Press. They're a small collective of artists and writers in Los Angeles. And he and Kate Hake both were teachers in that program. And then fast forward years ahead into the future, when I met them at a conference at the Association of Writers and Writer Writing Programs, AWP conference, and they did this amazing presentation, including art by the artist who does their covers, whose name is Gronk. He's incredible. You should look him up on Instagram. It's his, I think it's El Gronk um, on Instagram. And um, so I thought these people were so creative and interdisciplinary, really looking at how the arts intermingle and inform each other. And then I started reading their books and I thought, wow, this is really cool. And so um, when it was time to find a publisher, I always, every year I would reconvene with them and have lunch at this conference every, you know, and keep in touch. And, and Rod was a real champion of my work. Um, and so I sent it to them and they met with me and said, we'd like you to make some changes to it. And we're interested in reading a new version. And um, so then it all worked out. And um, I will say about that meeting um, that it was very cool because they were basically asking me or suggesting that I let it be weirder than I already had it. So they, they liked some of the things, some of the narrative intrusions and some of the kind of um, more um, dreamlike maybe sections and sort of suggested that I, they trusted me kind of to trust myself and do more of that. And that was amazing to have that kind of permission. So, yeah. This publisher existed 20 years ago when you were at Antioch, L.A.? No. Oh, okay. No, no. I, I just wanted to check that. Yeah, no, no. So I it's more recently that they've created this publishing yeah, house? Yeah. I, th- I, I want to say they started in maybe 2009, but it okay. may be older than that. All right. Um, yeah. My guest is Rebecca Cooter, and her new novel is The Eight Mile Suspended Carnival. Uh, you uh, just referred to uh, narrative intrusions. What do you mean? Um, when I started writing, um, learning how to write fiction, I was mainly focused on writing the character's perspective in a, what's called a close third person. So like I was right there with the person, usually third person, not always, but sometimes. Sometimes first, sometimes third. Um, and I never really... Uh, played with the idea of a narrator, of sort of an omniscient, um, you know, deific, um, deified kind of voice. And um, in this, I I decided I would try to add that layer. So the texture of the novel is not only focused on the character's experiences and the plot. So, um, so I... So the narrative intrusions were... I went through the script as I was... Or the, the manuscript... Um, after getting that feedback from Rod and Kate. And I found places where it seemed like I could play a little bit. And so I just wrote, I really just made some stuff up and I just let it be this kind of um, uh, really peppering in at different um, phases of the novel. And so that the narrator knows everything, sees everything. And I've also thought like of the narrator in this novel as kind of the watchmaker, the one who is really in charge of this world, the whole world. The narrator in this, I think, is a trickster character that's sort of playing with the reader and with humanity and everything. And I loved having that freedom to just um, 
not only be kind of locked into the close experience of the characters in the story. Tricksters, huh? <laughs> I'm getting a, a little Virginia Hamilton vibe here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, um, Virginia um, was an early uh, advocate and encourager of my writing because I grew up here. And, oh, nice. Yeah, and Ar- Arnold as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they That's were, Arnold Adolf. Arnold Adolf, yes. For those of you um, out there. Yeah. Wondering. Yeah. They were part of, you know, the texture and fabric of Yellow Springs and my childhood. And certainly um, their work was incredibly inspiring. Um, Yeah. So the sort of archetype of the trickster is definitely something that has stayed with me. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to WYSO at 91.3 on your dial, fact-based journalism in service of democracy. I'm Vic McCunis, and uh, this is The Book Nook. And uh, I don't know how fact-based this story is, but I kept trying to figure out, okay, first of all, what's the story about? And second of all, when is this? And third of all, where is this? And uh, I have some ideas. Uh, Tell our listeners what it's about. Well, um, it's about a lot of things. One thing is this idea of what what we as humanity are creating and what we're destroying constantly as this sort of back and forth. Um, it's about pacifism versus pugilism. Um, so like the, the carnival is really about um, wonder and imagination and kind of what I would consider sort of the more desirable human traits and, and what makes us human. Whereas the, the munitions factory across the river from the carnival uh, is about death and destruction and commerce, uh, greed, greed, um, and so that's part of it. Um, I also, I'm definitely playing with illusion and perception in terms of the story, the texture of the story, as well as the facts of being at a carnival where it's all illusion and performance and um, uh, invention. So invention versus destruction is part of it too. I don't know if that's the about, but I'd really be curious to know what you, any thoughts you that you got out of it. You wrote that. it. I, I, I want to know what the story's about. I read it. I know what it's about. Yeah, but yeah. I, I want you to tell the listeners yeah. what it's about. How does, so one, one thing, when, these are kind of larger questions, but um, how does anyone survive our experiences? Like, how do we make it through the world? Um, Mim gets thrown onto the ground with basically nothing. She's, you know, naked and bruised and um, has to kind of find a way to survive. And luckily she's found um, by the carnies. But how do, you know, everyone is um, surviving both the moment of what's happening in the novel as the, the plot unfolds, and they're also all surviving or having survived their memories. And Mim can see other people's memories. And so um, she's sort of um, absorbing maybe some of their trauma as well in their or, or joys. I mean, all of it, some of their humanity, just by the the sort of uh, magical nature of her gift or curse or whatever it is, um, her situation, um, and the sort of one of the catalysts for the or one of the ways I would describe the what it's about is that it's it's also a vendetta between the carnival. Uh, you know, director, owner, whatever, Mr. S- his name, not Mr. Suspenders, Suspender. And then um, the one of the guys at the factory who's the sort of security man, Bede, who um, they have a 
traumatic past together uh, from their childhood. And so as the novel unfolds, Mim is seeing some of that and learning about that. And yeah. Excellent. You're listening to The Book Nook on WYSO. I'm Vic McCunis. And I'll continue my conversation with Rebecca Cooter about her novel, The Eight Mile Suspended Carnival, right after this. You're listening to The Book Nook on WYSO. I'm Vic McCunis, and I've been joined in studio by Rebecca Cooter. We're talking about her novel, The Eight Mile Suspended Carnival. You mentioned Suspender. He runs the show. It's his carnival. You've mentioned Mim. She's the uh, young woman who's been delivered by a, a cyclone into their midst, and uh, they brought her into the carnival, and they're trying to help her and take care of her. You've also mentioned uh, Bede, also known as Lucian B. Dunavant. He's the guy across the river working in the munitions factory. I think at some point during the story you say that the people that work at the carnival are pretty much all against violence, and they have rules at the carnival. And one of them, I think it's rule number seven, is, is no pugilism. Mm-hmm. I know you like that word. Let's talk a little bit more about the carnival because this is a pretty uh, wild creature. Mm-hmm. Tell us what it is. Yeah, the carnival is it's in addition to being a place where the nearby uh, citizens of this world go and you know spend their money, leave their money for the for the carnies to survive. It's also kind of its own entity. So it is. I think of the carnival as a creature, basically that is alive. It's been made and manufactured and repurposed by uh, Mr. Suspenders or by Suspender, um, the kind of uh, all his contraptions and all the things he builds. And he never quite, uh, he's always on a quest to make things better and run better. And so he's very much a, you know, mechanical genius. And, um, and but they've all um, sort of all the carnies have a place and a part to play, and they do this thing every so often to get ready for the crossing, which is um, sort of in case they're ever going to leave. <laughs> and they're, they've been really stuck in this place for a while because the carnival boss has this person across the river that he's watching. And so um, people are feeling kind of stuck, but they, they take apart everything. They take the whole carnival apart and put it back together a little bit different each time so that they know they can leave. And each time he calls for a rehearsal for the crossing, Carney's grown and they're, they just they don't believe they're actually going to leave. But um, so they take it apart and then they again find that they're just staying for a little while longer. Um, and so the carnival, is, I, I do think of the carnival as kind of a beast that's um, fed by, you know, money <laughs> by um, the work of the carnies, by uh, humanity's interest in wonder and invention. Um, and they're also, and the beast is also kind of this, it, it, you know, it dies and then is reborn again. I'm, you know, each time they're rehearsing to leave. Um, and eventually, well, eventually things change. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about the spoilers that you're, you're tempted to do. <laughs> I think when you said he's watching someone at the munitions factory, I didn't figure that out until way late in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
that doesn't really give anything away. Right. It's mostly men working for the carnival. Men, and then there's this creature named Beatrice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell us yeah, about yeah. Beatrice. Yeah, Beatrice um, is one of the attractions of the carnival. Um, Beatrice is, um, people say that her uh, father, or that her parentage comes from an emu and a Russian wolfhound or borzoi. Um, and so um, she has feathers and fur, and she is incredibly cranky, but she also does a lot of keeping people in line, and she helps you know, clean up the garbage, and she's, she's got role, a role, too. There's uh, the fortune teller whose name, who calls herself Cleopatra. Um, everyone kind of, people have their sort of fi- made up or um, fictionalized names. People aren't always being straight about who they are um, or being forthcoming about who they are. Um, which is part of the illusion, too, part of the performance of the whole place. So Yeah, there's very few women working at the carnival, but mm-hmm. the women are some of the most potent characters mm-hmm. in the story. You just mentioned Cleopatra, who takes men under her wings, so to speak. Uh, initially, they live together, mm-hmm. and men and Cleopatra have something in common, uh, but it's a different sort of something. Mm-hmm. Cleopatra knows she she can sense when men's been doing whatever she mm-hmm. picks up on mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. and men has this ability she'll be looking at someone and a leaf will appear and that's when she realizes that she's suddenly back in their memories with them usually briefly experiencing something they've experienced that has happened to them mm-hmm. when they were little or or maybe recently mm-hmm. And they try, once they figure out she has this power, they try to hopefully use this in their carnival mm-hmm. and right. with mixed results. Mm-hmm. We also have uh, Nelda, mm-hmm. who has the wishing well, mm-hmm. and people throw coins in it. And uh, yeah. th- these women are both very powerful characters mm-hmm. in the story. And then there's a really great character. I think if I had to pick a favorite character, it would probably be Lolo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Lolo is really fun. So Lolo is the chef and the mechanic, and he is, um, he's, I I had a lot of fun writing Lolo, for sure. Um, You know, he and Mim sort of become um, sibling-esque in a way, um, or at least that was sort of my vision for it. And he's he's just very fun because he's funny, he's um, demonstrative, He's also cranky to Mim, and like she has to keep up with him, um, and they uh, they have a good, fr- a really strong friendship. And at some point, you were sort of alluding to this, but when when people, I'm not, this isn't a spoiler, but um, when people start to learn about Mim's um, gift or whatever it is, her ability to see people's memories, they sort of freak out and they don't want to be around her because mm-hmm. they don't want her in her, their heads, especially Lolo. <laughs> yeah, Lolo's uh-huh. like he won't. Yeah, yeah. Right. So. Because she has this ability, and once they recognize it, she's kept it hidden. Right. And as we go through the story, we get a lot of messages. And um, I think if if you took these two main characters, as far as the leaders, a suspender who suspends the carnival, that's his his baby, and Spurlock, who Mm -hmm. owns the munitions factory— as I was reading, I kept thinking to myself, now, which one of these guys 
would be more acceptable in modern society. And I, I kept saying to myself, well, it'd be Spurlock, right. even though he's a horrible person right. and the things he does are horrible. That's the kind of world we're living in. Right. And, and there's a looming war. The munitions factory is cranking up for the war. Uh, is it World War II? I, I, I got the feeling this was Depression times. I, I'm looking at the devices. They've got radio. There's no TV. Um, times are kind of hard. Uh, it feels like Depression mm -hmm. times to me. Mm -hmm. Between the first big war, which mm -hmm. you, you allude to a big war that's already happened, mm -hmm. and an oncoming war, right. which could be World War II or right. – World War Three, which we're, we're <laughs> headed for right now, right, maybe. Right, um, right. Please no. Yes. It, it seems kind of timely from that standpoint. Yeah. Um, tell us about Spurlock. There's always a new war. It's like, what? what's next? What's next? And yeah, so Spurlock is obviously well suited to that kind of commerce. He um, comes from a long line of munitions factory owners and um, had some uh, ancestors who were less um, less smart as business people than he is, perhaps uh, did some had some you know accidents and damage happening with the with the uh, munitions works, but Spurlock is very uh, he's he's um, he's very smart. I think he's he feels very clean about what he's doing and very um, like calmly violent. Um, he. You know, he comes from this stream of violence, and so it's not even a thing for him. Um, um, yeah, um, and he's he does come, he does, you know, collide with the carnival in ways, mm -hmm. um, and they have to share turf or deal with each other in in uh, some some interesting ways. My guest is Rebecca Cooter. Her new one is the Eight Mile Suspended Carnival. It's a uh, story with uh, environmental overtones, with uh, anti-war overtones, and uh, it's a, a love story, and it's a uh, spy novel. There's, <laughs> there's espionage mm -hmm. in here, and um, there's a lot more sex than I expected. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. 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 I, I kept reading this and going, oh my God, Rebecca. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. There's a lot more sex in the world than we probably expect. <laughs> <laughs> Though this is not meant to represent the, the actual real world. But yeah, it was interesting um, having this young woman show up in this world where there are mostly men um, and um, sort of her vulnerability mm. and, and also stepping into her power. I mean, part of her um, growing up or her um, increasing agency has to do with her um, sort of in her mind anyway, taking charge of of uh, what she does with her body and with whom. And, you know, it's a very complicated, uh, I think, psychic or psychological thing that's happening in her as she's growing up, really. And this guy, the security guy from the munitions factory, Bede, he keeps coming across this river that is horribly polluted downstream in the munitions factory. Uh, suspender says, don't eat fish that are caught <laughs> downstream of the munitions factory. Um, we've got Bede, who has an eye on men. He thinks she's very attractive. He's very interested in her. And as I was reading this part of the story, I thought, why is it that the 
innocent damsel almost always is able to be seduced by the bad boy, by, by the person that's the worst person for them. Why is that so, so commonplace? Um, I can speak to what happens with Bede, which is that he's charming. And in terms of this novel, um, she's never, either she hasn't experienced this before or she doesn't remember having experienced any kind of getting attention for how she looks, who she is, for her youth, for her beauty, for her energy. Um, and so I think having, being, belonging nowhere and showing up and not, and only starting to belong as she is at the carnival, um, then there's someone who's interested in her. And as, you know, a young person, um, that's ve- that can be very uh, powerful as a vibe. In terms of the world, it's a very good question, Vic. And I don't, you know, um, what I hope to be manifesting in my work, in my life, and here in this novel too, is um, empowering um, humans to not have to um, trade in the sort of commerce that Mim is in in a sense trading in, in terms of that relationship. Um, So, yeah. Sounds, sounds good to me. <laughs> sounds good to me, too. You're listening to the Book Nook on WYSO. My guest is Rebecca Cooter. We're talking about the eight-mile suspended carnival. And it took me a long time to read your book. I read books on deadline all the time, and I can plow through a book of this length in one night if I put my mind to it. And with you, I... I couldn't read it that fast. I had to read just a couple pages at a time because you have put so much into every word. It's clear over 17 years that you have worked so hard to distill this down to the essence that you wanted to to read it. It's so much more intricate and ornate than what most people are accustomed to reading in a novel. We have these novels that just crank them out, crank them out, crank them out. They're formulaic. If you've read one, you've read them all. And with this, there's just, there's so much that you've put into it. It's it's very impressive. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I, I really, I, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Um, and I did really intend to um, to distill it down so that there was no extra word. Uh, I know that probably there are extra words in it, but um, and probably in a year or two I would find them, or maybe even if I read it again right now I would find some. But um, that was part of what I was trying to do. And I don't think it was a perfectionism thing as much as a um, getting, um, getting the poetry right. Um, so, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not in verse, but I do... I, I want my work to do that. I want my work to be as distilled as possible. Um, and I sometimes wish I could crank them out. I wish I, I mean, I, there are so many books that I love and, and series and things. I mean, when I read P.G. Woodhouse, I get so excited. And it's so, it's so um, fun and it's so like, I don't, I can read it quickly. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I've gotten, um, some people who've read it have said the same thing, that it's just really, it's a slow read. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you stop yourself from revising? Um, How do you control yourself? 
you said you, if you yeah. read it you know, yeah, a yeah. year from now, you'd, yeah, yeah. you'd want to revise right. it. Yeah. How, I, how do you say, okay, enough's okay, enough. enough? Yeah, letting things be good enough okay. is really important okay. at a point and letting go. The book is The Eight Mile Suspended Carnival. Rebecca Cooter wrote it. We're talking about it in the book nook today on WYSO. And uh, we have one more segment coming up right after this. It's the Book Nook on WYSO. I'm Vic McCunis. Thanks for tuning in this morning. My guest in studio is Rebecca Cooter. We're talking about her novel, The Eight Mile Suspended Carnival. And I tried to give listeners some sense of the way you write. But I think the best way for them to comprehend your style is maybe if you'd be willing to read part of it. Uh, Can you read us a little excerpt from your novel? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. Thanks. I'll read the opening. Chapter 1, Scratchland. During a year not unlike 1917, in a place like most places, Scratchland spread across the horizon. Occasional shrubs and rusted weeds interrupted the otherwise blank canvas. A world faded from lack of notice, rot of time. Things weren't alive and green here. This stillness, this dry, dusty shadow, offered only memory and its silent repercussions. Years before, opportunity had stolen all mature trees. Bend, snap, cut, went the rhythm of thieves. Sure, trees fall naturally sometimes, and storms leave carnage. But these logs were felled too many, too fast, and rafted down the river. Money to be made. Trees would grow back, some said, then forgot to plant seedlings. No thought beyond the next greed meal. Along the river, a few bushes spangled the banks, a fringe of sorry lush. No matter the abuse, no matter what, usually some form of life will survive. And so after the trees were taken, the dry season came and stayed. The river was now only deep enough for flatboats, their poles callousing shoulders of men, men without time to look up and consider the missing trees, the meager flora, and what it meant. Empty. Except in one direction. Machines. Buildings, spines of steel sprung from the ground, seeded by metal bits. Come closer. Observe the metal monster machines that loom round the Tower of Misfortune. A huddle of canvas tents, trembling. Light peeking from openings like eyes and silent mouths, afraid to waken the sleeping machines. From the main road, a path of dust leads the curious to a gate in a tall iron fence. Strung above the gate, behold, a painted banner wide proclaiming letters, the eight-mile suspended carnival. Should you look closer, you might notice layers, the banner repainted year upon year, canvas clutching paint. The place itself might otherwise be mute, might disappear. Look, the scabs on the steadfast banner say, I exist. Nearby, civilization eroded. Stagnant holes languished, hollowed out long ago. The holes were never filled in. The work was left mid-sentence. The eight-mile suspended carnival, meanwhile, sighed, but stood. What else could it do? Undeparted beliefs, notions, curated imagery. The eight-mile suspended carnival, faded remembrance and forgetting, existence and extinction, faded paint on the carnival sign, unclinging surfaces, pink and blue and rusty red, and the dust of the paint mixed with the dust of the ground, and the rain dogs barked, 
What else would rain dogs do? And with gusto, gobbled from their dog dishes the forgotten layers of wonderment, death, reincarnation, and how much longer before its next death and rebirth carnival. Maybe you can imagine such a place. In sunlight, the ground shimmied like uneven scales from here to there and back again to here, to a young woman who didn't move, couldn't move, body slick with mysterious wet. Rebecca Cooter, reading from her new novel, The Eight Mile Suspended Carnival. And uh, thank you. That was, uh, that was nice to hear that. Thanks. And you'll be reading along, and you'll just hit a, a phrase or a sentence or a paragraph, and you just kind of go, oh, I need to go back and look at that. And at one point, she's, she's thinking about what it feels like to be able to experience people's memories. And uh, you write, So much sadness in the world, such unmet yearning. What could Mim do with these glimpses, do about the mess that lives inside each of us? And I thought, yeah, a lot of readers are going to read that and go, mm, how does she know that? <laughs> does she look at my memories? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, aren't we all <laughs> a big mess? And you have some good expressions. I like the one, uh, war insomnia. I think we have a lot of people suffering from that right now. Mm -hmm. I know people who are so intensely freaked out about the war that's happening right now. Yeah. That, that's all they think about. Yeah. It's just scary. It's really scary. Yeah. And it's very human. I mean, you know, we all, well, at our best, we want... Um, this the species to survive and not suffer. So, yeah, it is, it is, I think it's, I don't know if I was consciously thinking of the constant, you know, access to news and images that we have now when I wrote that, but um, possibly, you know, um, I did want to capture that, how we're haunted by the, just all the suffering and devastation and, and the worry, the anxiety. And at our worst, what do we do? We get that stinky bucket and we pitch it in the river <laughs> and say, let somebody downstream deal with that. That's right. Yep. Yep. It's a uh, story with uh, environmental overtones. I hope it wasn't heavy handed, but I did. No, no, no. no. Okay. But, but it's heavy. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely, to me, I, I sort of at some point boiled it down to when I've, maybe when I came up with the phrase of death pills for bullets. Um, like, uh, I think that the munitions factory is is absolutely a machine, like the carnival is maybe, um, creating different uh, outcomes in the world, and that um, definitely the you know the stuff they're putting into the river is absolutely going to kill people or long or slow I mean long or short they will you know and and the Spurlocks who are the family that owns the munitions factory they all live far away from the from the the dirt and the and the trash and the uh, the death really and the Spurlocks so. of the world they love wars right because it's time to make some money right and the prices are going up on right. the munitions and and the in our modern day on the right. missiles and the right. all the, all the right. equipment the of, of war right. 
And at one point in the uh, story, you say, actually, it's Nelda. Nelda says, Politics say all they want about reasons. Read the newspaper. You'll see. But they're not the ones dying. That Spurlock's not dying, nor his kin. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. They're so all much safe. money to right. be made right. on war. Right. Yeah. What if we use that for, I mean, this is the sort of oversimplified, but what if, what if that money could be diverted toward <laughs> everything else that supports humanity actually thriving? Mm. Uh, yeah. You mean like repairing bridges and, and that kind of stuff? Right, and cleaning water mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, providing education and mm-hmm. um, healing our traumas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My guest is Rebecca Cooter. Rebecca, you mentioned uh, earlier that you grew up in Yellow Springs. How has the village changed since you were a little girl? Wow, yeah, it's changed a lot. Um, there are still some things that are true about this place, like it's okay as a kid to walk around barefoot, and um, you can still, of a certain age, it's still fine, I think, for um, you know people to run around and do their thing as children. Um, I think um, the town has definitely become more white, more rich, um, um, more affluent. It's, it's less and less affordable to live here. Um, when I was here, we had a much more diverse, let's say, um, graduating class than we do now. Um, and the college was much more of a big presence in this town when I was growing up. Um, and a lot has changed. And we had industry here, too, which we don't – well, we have, new, we have new industry here, a little bit of new industry. But um, it's still – I still – love it here and I am also realizing that it has changed so much that I have to check myself a little bit um, so that I don't become sort of the cranky oldster always saying well when I was a kid you know <laughs> this and that um, and also leave room for for what's next for what's for what can be next um, it's that was sort of I don't know I, I grew up in the 70s and we just did our thing and it was fun and it was wild and it was also pretty unsupervised um, growing up here. And of course, the world has changed and we raise children differently now. And at the same time, I'm glad that institutions like, um, for, for our family, the Antioch School has been a great place still. And um, you know, there are so many good things that happen here. And it still is a place where people can be free to, to a great extent to be who they are. When you were a little girl living in Yellow Springs, what was your idea of a good time? Um, go to the pool and spend the day there, um, um, run downtown and go to what was located in, un- in what is now Unfinished Creations was another cool little store called Furets. Mm-hmm. Also, John Ott had a store called the Ott Shop that he was one of the sort of huge, uh, presences of my childhood. He had Stife little bears, and we would go and buy these little Stife and Shuko little little bears. And instead of dolls in my dollhouse, I had these little bears. And my friends, we all had little bears that we would write little stories. And there are all these ornate family uh, constellations. He had little tiny forks and spoons and little cans of food and everything that you would need for really? the dollhouse. Yeah, like tiny, amazing, tiny stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
And Furets, of course, uh, is the family of uh, Richie Furet, right. who went on to rock and roll stardom with That's bands right. like Buffalo Springfield. And That's right. The last I heard, he was a minister in Colorado. Wow. I think yeah. he, I think he might have retired recently. I didn't know that. It's cool. Yeah. Last I heard. Yeah. I've tried to get interviews with him and was never able to do no. it because I wanted to ask him what it was like growing up in Yellow right. Springs because he would have remembered the 50s. Right. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So. Yeah. You thank a lot of people. Mm-hmm. In your acknowledgments, it's 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 quite a list of people, and I of course recognized a lot of these names in here. Now, at one point, you uh, you thank someone in here, and I recognized the name in your story. Uh, you have something in your story, which I'm I'm sure is some kind of a shout out to the Maneris. Yes. <laughs> you want you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, yes, the Maneri family was was and is a big part of my life. And um, they uh, they taught me how to make popcorn when I was a kid. And I'm not giving away the secrets, but I will say that um, that popcorn, the Maneri method is, is claimed and named in this, when, when popcorn shows up in the story. And popcorn is very important to me, so I had to have it in there somewhere. <laughs> Plus it's a carnival, so yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 17 years. Is your next novel uh, underway? Are we going to be able to talk to you about it in another 17 years? <laughs> yeah, like the cicadas. Actually, it was. It was the cicada cycle that, uh-huh. this, that this novel came out, yes, the 17-year cicadas. And I've noticed that they were eating cicadas. That's right. And that was, that, that was one thing in there where I just <laughs> said, no, 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 no. That's, a, that's going too far. <laughs> They're carnies. What can I say? Um, More like carnivores. I've, <laughs> I've never eaten a cicada, but and I don't know that I would never do it, but... Um, my next novel is um, sort of on the shelf right now because I'm working on a memoir, actually, about the house where I grew up um, really? in this town, yeah, which is no longer there because it was um, burned down as a fire department exercise. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So um, Where was it? It was by Gaunt Park, actually. Oh, uh-huh, sure. Uh-huh. And there's a driveway that was our driveway. And um, when, the, when the village wanted to expand the park— they bought, I mean, they bought the land and then the, um, the fire department burned it down. So um, I'm writing about that house and um, lots of different layers to the story of that house. I'm trying to learn about the family who owned that property when the house was built in 1888. Um, and so it's going to be a very late, I hope it will be a very layered kind of hybrid memoir that has some history in it and has some of my own story and um, I just actually wrote part of it that is a play, a short play that's going to be showing up um, in the world this year. So, oh. uh, so that will happen probably before the next novel. Okay, but I do have a novel also in in uh, pre-production. Let's All say right. we have a lot of carnies in this story, and I am old enough to remember carnies. Did you ever have any encounters with, with actual carnies, or is this just something that you've heard about? Um, it's, I did a little bit of research about it. I was also very inspired by Tom Waits and the sort of sto- the, carny, the carny angle of mm-hmm. Tom Waits, that layer of his, uh, his art. And actually, one little funny story is, I don't know what year it was, but when I was a kid um, living next to Gaunt Park, the, I mean, a, a circus came to town and was at Gaunt Park. There uh-huh. was a circus there. And there was there were elephants and things there. I mean, it was like a real circus next door. So it could have been that that idea was sort of planted early in that way. I yeah. see. Yeah. Well, at one point, uh, Min is helping out the guy who 
stacks the bottles and then you try to knock them down and you get a prize and, and there's a way that they set up the bottles so that it's really hard to knock them <laughs> down. And I had a flashback. I, I'm old enough to remember when I was a newspaper carrier being 11 years old and uh, saving my money all summer long. And I had $17 saved up to go to the Iowa State Fair. And I went there with my buddy and we were walking through the midway and the carnies, this, these were hardcore carnies. They're very aggressive, oh, yeah. getting you to, hey, kid, hey, kid. I'm 11 years old. Hey, kid, come over here, come over here. And this guy had this game where you throw, you throw a ball at this, it looked like a wooden bushel basket, and there's a little dot drawn in the middle. And if you hit the dot, then you get a prize. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay. I'll he was real aggressive. I didn't want to do it. My friend didn't want me to do it. I said, okay, I'm going to try it. It's a dollar. I'm going to have to try it. So I tried it, and he, this guy's the guy that gets to decide whether you hit the dot or not. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. and I'm, he said I didn't hit the dot. I was pretty sure I hit the dot. Yeah. But, but he said, no, I didn't. Yeah, try it again. Try it again. Well, within five minutes, he had my entire $17. Oh, my God. And then, and then suddenly, once he realized he had all my money, he's like, get out of here, kid. Right. And, You're done. And, and so. Spent I, mark. I never liked carnies yeah. too much. That's but, terrible. I'm sorry that but that's happened. What, that was what they did. That's right. That was and their was, job. That was their job, right. You know, right. peel the money, peel right. the, peel the greenbacks you, off this dumb kid. Right, you came with extra money. There you were. No, that was all my money. Aww. We went home early. We didn't even get I to mean, go you on came, the rides. Right, you had saved, worked so hard to save that money. Iowa State I'm sorry. Fair. Yeah, that's, well. Wow. You know, live and learn. That's I mean, right. I, I learned right, from right. that. And, yeah. and a few years later, I was walking through the Midway. I was a little older, and I saw that guy. And same guy, same same booth, everything. I saw that guy, and I I steered clear of that guy. I I knew I had learned my terrible lesson wow. at the midway. Yeah, wow. Well, but, I'm sorry, and I hope yeah, that you not, know you got a good story out of it, no, and nothing, you made it through. But I don't know if it's yeah. a good story. Nothing <laughs> nothing to do with you. <laughs> but see, but, that's but, how that's how fiction works, right? It's it can be a portal into our own memories. So. Right. True. Yeah. I, I see the little leaf appearing above yep. your head. Yep. Oh, oh, oh no, Rebecca. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I can't oh, see anything oh, no, else. Oh, 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 you shared it with me. You, right. you gave, you gave, you said, yeah. There was. Uh, I see the leaf above by... <laughs> your head. <laughs> ah. Um, oh right. I, 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 You're gonna see I'm, mine. Uh huh. Right. Oh my God. No, no, no. We don't, no. don't want to go no, there. No, no. Okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the book is the Eight Mile Suspended Carnival. Rebecca Cooter wrote it. I, I just have one more question. Do you remember listening to Why So um, many, many years ago? And, and what was the station like back yeah, then? Yeah, some of, um, in fact, there, I believe there were there was at least one Maneri who was involved with, with the station. Um, and yeah, so there were, um, I would say kids now, there were, you know, college students and um, younger people who were involved with it. And I, yeah, it was, it was, it was, um, it was our local thing, you know. And, Did you have a favorite show? Um, well, I was pretty little. Let's see. I mean, I started, you know. I, well, how I, about when you were older? One I remember is, and I don't know who the person was, but there was a song that was playing when a friend of mine was born, and it was his name. It was The song was Eli's Coming. Uh -huh. So, like, a really strong memory of hearing that on the radio. Three they, Dog they were playing Night. it for, I guess, right? Mm, they were playing it because they're, you know. There was this baby being born, so. So yeah, it was yeah. a it was a dedication request. Yes, kind it of thing. was. Yeah, and to be able to have that kind of access and closeness and, I guess, intimacy is um, is pretty 
lovely. And that is one thing that is still the case, I think, about Yellow Springs. We still have that connection. Well, when I first came to the station, I think they were still kind of that way. And, and I can remember in 1993, 94, I was hosting a music show and uh, the phone rang <laughs> and I answered it. And it was this guy, you might remember him. His name was Paul, older fella. He was kind of known for being a dumpster diver. Mm -hmm. he, he'd go behind Weaver's Grocery and he would pull out I'm sure I'd recognize expired him. yogurts yeah. and stuff. And then he would take them up and he'd leave them by the door of my apartment as, <laughs> as gifts. Like, hey, I found this expired food for you, Vic. You know, I know you're going to love it. <laughs> and, and so he, I answered the phone and I was hosting the show. And, and uh, he calls up. He goes, hi, Vic. This is Paul. And, and I said, yeah, Paul, what's up? He says, uh, I want you to play a song for me. And I said, okay, what is it? And he goes, it's on that Joan Baez album. And he gave me the name <laughs> of it, and he told me the name of the song. And I said, well, Paul, I said, I'm not sure if we have that record in our library. He goes, oh, no. He says, I know you have it. He said, I slept in the library last night. He says, I was going through there, and I saw it. <laughs> I said, okay, okay, I guess That's you got great. me. You got me, Paul. I guess wow. I, I guess yeah. I better play that song. So, <laughs> Busted. So, yeah, so that, those are different times. Yeah. Well, well, Rebecca, it's really been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks. Thank you, Vic. It's been a great pleasure to talk to you. You've been listening to the book nook on WYSO. Rebecca's novel is The Eight Mile Suspended Carnival. For the book note, I'm Vic McCunis. <laughs> <laughs>